today we're looking at a really important uh, section in John chapter 17, what's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus, his, his last prayer with his disciples. And we're going to start reading from verse 1, John chapter 17. If you've got your Bible, you can open that up. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth gospel, chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the chairs, or you can you know, open up your phone and, and look it up there. John chapter 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that you know that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, for the, those you have given me, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with you, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of this world anymore than I am of this world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. It seems to me that one of the things that is kind of wired into us as people is that we aspire to greatness. And if not greatness, at least we aspire to do something worthwhile, to say we've made something of ourselves, that we've done something. We want to achieve, to overcome challenges, to succeed, maybe to leave our mark, to make a difference, to make a name, to make a fortune, to make our way. And some people, it seems to me, are so driven to find ways to achieve that they actually go out of their way to accomplish this. And so they do things like climb mountains or run marathons or start new companies or volunteer to put out fires or they aspire to feed the hungry or to end poverty in the world or they aspire to really huge challenges like becoming parents or getting up every day and going off to work and accomplishing a job. These are things that we all aspire to. And now if I was to ask you the question, 
What do you think is the quality that would make it most likely that you would succeed in your challenges? What quality do you think that would be? I'm going to actually give you a little quiz. I've got five options for you. Of these five qualities, which do you think is the most important in succeeding? Number one is talent. And by that, I'm thinking both intelligence or some kind of skill or ability. Number two, passion. Number three, luck. Number four, grit. Or number five, self-control. Of those five qualities, which do you think is most essential for achieving success? Anybody want to guess? Passion? Grit, self-control? Talent? Okay, we got them all, except luck. Uh, I'm, I'm going off a little study that was done by a group called the Duckworth Lab, and this is a, a group in Pennsylvania that studies how people succeed, and the place they did their study, first of all, was with the United States Military Academy. So they were s- studying some very high-achieving individuals, and their study was to try to determine which ones would be most likely to complete their training and which ones would be most likely to drop out of the training. Okay, so they're training for the military. And the... the thing that they found was the best predictor of whether they would drop out or not was grit. Whether they were able to stay involved. And this was irregardless of their, um, whether they had lots of talent or lots of other skills or abilities, grit was the one measure by far that overcame the other one. And then they wanted to make sure this wasn't a fluke, so they studied children in spelling bees with the same test. And they wanted to know what would make it most likely for a child to win the spelling bee. And in this one, you'd think almost instinctively, well, it has to be intelligence, right? It's got to be the smartest kid that's going to get out there and win. They actually found the same results, that the kid that was most likely to win the spelling bee was the kid with the greatest grit, the one who was able to hang in there, the one who was able to keep going, overcome obstacles, prepare himself to really be ready. If you score high on this, and they had a name for this, it was called the grit scale. If you scored high on their grit scale, you were most likely to succeed in whatever area they were studying. And so that kind of got me wondering if there's such a thing as a grit scale for discipleship. Is there something that would make it more likely for us as followers of Jesus Christ to stay at it and to succeed as disciples? So I was wondering about this when I came across this passage in John chapter 17. And I was thinking about it. And this is actually a very famous passage, and there's so much in here, we're going to actually do two weeks on this. So next week we're going to come back. I think the core theme of this passage is actually unity and what makes us one. We're going to look at that next week, but this week I wanted to focus on one verse that jumped out at me. It was John 17, 4. First, I want to tell you, as I was studying this, I came across a Puritan who preached this one chapter. He preached 45 sermons on this one chapter. Now, that would take some grit on the part of the pastor wouldn't it? And how much grit would it take on the part of the congregation? 45 sermons on one chapter. We're going to do two. And this week, I really want to focus on verse 4, because this one popped out at me when I was reading it this time. John 17, verse 4 says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, this is Jesus praying, and he's recognizing that this thing that he is about to accomplish as he's finishing up his life on earth is something that was given to him as a calling by God. And he's recognizing that he's very close to completing this. And I wonder if when Jesus looks at this call that God has placed on him, if he recognizes this uh, perseverance that he demonstrated. That every time the bell rang for him to come out for another round, he answered it 
all the way to the end. Jesus entered into a battle that was for the hearts and souls of men and women and had eternal significance, and it was a really difficult battle. And Jesus kept coming and kept coming and kept coming until he could say, I accomplished the mission that you gave me to accomplish. I was thinking about that and wondering about times when he might have wanted to quit, to throw in the towel, to say, I've had enough. Remember that Jesus left the glories of heaven to come to a stable, to be born in a manger, welcomed into this world among animals, hay and straw and dung, smells, unwelcome, no room for him. And you wonder if even right from the beginning there would be this kind of question of why would you do this? All the power of God funneled into a baby? So he spent his life as a human. He became hungry. He became thirsty. He was tired, covered with dirt and sweat. Do you think that Jesus ever thought about throwing in the towel? I'm not going to answer this next call. It seems like it's too difficult. It takes me back to uh, another observation from this passage. The most frequently used word in John chapter 17 is the word glory or glorified. So certainly as Jesus is praying this prayer, he's coming to the end of his mission and very much on his mind is the glory that he's left in heaven and that he is hoping to return again. And then he's wondering if the actions that he's taken up to this point will result in bringing glory to God. That's what's on his mind. Think about some other challenges Jesus faced. He faced intense persecution and temptation at the hands of the devil. Remember, he went off into the wilderness right at the beginning of his ministry, 40 days, fasting, not eating anything, and then the devil comes to him and says, hey, look at this rock I've got here. Why don't you turn that rock into a piece of bread? The devil says, hey, why don't you bow down and worship me? Look at all this out here. I could give it to you. Why don't you worship me? The devil says, hey, you trust in God. Why don't you throw yourself off from this temple and see if God doesn't rescue you? And you have to wonder in the midst of this kind of temptation, uh, and we're just told about this one situation, can you imagine the unrelenting temptation that Jesus would have faced day in and day out? Do you think that Jesus was ever tempted to say, I'm going to stop. I'm going to quit. I'm not going to follow through all the way to the end. Jesus is arrested. And he's pushed around and hauled off to be mocked. And he's beaten. And he's whipped. A crown of thorns is pressed down upon his head. He carries a heavy cross down the road where a nail is driven through his feet. Another nail driven through one hand. Another nail driven through another hand. And do you think that there was ever a moment when Jesus is thinking, I'll just call 10,000 angels and they'll set me free from this right now. I think he's tempted to think about, maybe there's a plan B. Maybe I should just throw in the towel and quit. The language of uh, finished in John 17, verse 4. He said, I brought you glory by finishing the work you gave me. This, work is a, this is a very interesting word in the Scriptures. 
This word is not just like, I, you know, I crossed the finish line, I got done. This word has with it the idea that I have completed, that there was a goal, that there was a mission, something was supposed to be accomplished. I have accomplished the thing that was given me to accomplish. Jesus is saying, I have accomplished all that you have given to me, and I did not quit. And you know what that sounds like to me? Grit. Yeah, that's grit. The same word comes up just a few chapters later in John chapter 19. Jesus is now hanging on the cross. And then we read these words. Later, knowing that everything had been completed. There's that same word. Knowing as he's hanging on the cross that everything has been finished, that the goal has been accomplished, that the purpose for his coming has been fulfilled. Knowing that everything has been completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And so a jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stick and lifted it to the lips of Jesus. And when he received the drink, Jesus said, what? It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and breathed his last. Jesus finished his work. And in finishing this work, we see that the other focus of this prayer, this idea of being glorified, is actually fulfilled. Paul gives us a little insight into this in Philippians chapter 2. Listen to this. Jesus finished his work, and here's the result. Jesus, says Paul, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. In light of what Jesus is about to face as he's praying in this prayer, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if we prayed and you go, the whole prayer is about Jesus. Can you imagine the kinds of things he would need to pray for there? God, give me strength. God, give me staying power. God, help me. God, sustain me. God, use me. But the prayer actually shifts rather quickly. The first five verses, Jesus is praying for himself. In verse 6, he actually shifts the focus of the prayer to pray for his disciples. And the rest of the prayer, the, the, the bigger part of the prayer, is Jesus praying for his disciples. Now remember that Jesus has already predicted in these last words, he says, you're going to have trouble, the world is going to hate you, you're going to be frightened, you're going to be discouraged, you're going to be scattered. He's been warning them that this is coming now that Jesus is going to leave, they're going to be on their own, but he's going to send the Holy Spirit, but they'll, it's not going to make it easy. And this is the kind of context in which Jesus starts to pray for his disciples. So now I'm jumping down to verse 6. Jesus says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world. Jesus says, I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. So none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still here on earth so that they may have joy within them. I've given them your word and 
the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. As I'm reading this prayer, I'm thinking about the state of mind of those disciples as they've already heard this kind of dire prediction about what is going to come. And then Jesus begins to pray for them. And I can kind of imagine that as they are listening to Jesus pray, it's not, it's not entirely comforting. It doesn't immediately reassure them. Jesus is saying it's, it's going to be hard. You know, you're going to need power. You're going to need the power of God to sustain you. You're going to need Lord, the Lord to hold you up. And I have it pictured in my mind that as Jesus is praying this prayer, that the disciples sitting around the table with him are one by one starting to kind of open up their eyes and look at each other. And they're kind of raised eyebrows and asking a question, you know, what is he praying about? Did he just say we're going to have trouble? Did he just say we're going to need to be protected? Did he just say that we don't get to get out of this world, that we have to stay in this world? Is that what he just said? And Jesus keeps praying on and on and on about the suffering and the hatred of the world, the persecution. They're going to kill you. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And I can wonder if I was one of those disciples, I'd be sitting there going, I thought this was going to end a little different. I would have hoped that as he's wrapping up his work, he would say to me, good job, your work's done too. You can move on now. Instead, he says, your work is not done and you're going to have to stay here until it is. That's what he's saying. That I'm giving you all a mission to carry out in this world. And as long as you carry out that mission in this world, well, you're going to need some protection because the evil one, the enemy of the souls, he's going to come after you and he is not going to let up. And the disciples who maybe wanted a way out or wanted to quit or wanted to throw in the towel are wondering why they don't get to be taken out of the world too. This reminded me of a passage in Jeremiah chapter 12. Remember the prophet Jeremiah? He was a guy who was um, also known as the weeping prophet. He was a guy who had really difficult call. He was placed in a a, a tough situation and um, was not very successful in his ministry. So he's best known as the guy who just lamented all the time. He was just constantly complaining about what was going on. And there's a passage in Jeremiah chapter 12 where he is in this kind of complaining mode and he's doing this by asking God some tough questions. He says to God, why do the wicked prosper? Why do good people suffer? And those are good questions. If you're in a tough situation, you wonder, why, why isn't this getting better? And why do the bad guys seem to be succeeding and the good guys seem to be failing? Jeremiah is really thinking about throwing in the towel here. He's thinking about quitting, is what he's thinking about. Should I continue to do the call that God has given me? Should I continue to follow through? And uh, I think he's fishing for something also. Like, if God would maybe lighten my load a little bit, Maybe if God would like clear the path for me, make this road a little easier, then maybe I'll continue on. Maybe I won't quit. I think that's what he's thinking. And God fires back his own questions to Jeremiah. This is what he says in Jeremiah 12. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, then how are you going to run with the horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? You see what God's saying to him? You think you've had it bad, he says. You haven't had it bad yet. There's more coming. Now, I don't think the prayer that Jesus is praying in John chapter 17 is telling us that we're in for a life that's just constantly going to get worse. 
that there's always going to be more and, and greater challenges, that there's just going to always be something else. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. But I think the prayer does make a promise. The promise is this. As long as you're in the world, the evil one will attack you. As long as you're carrying out my mission, there's going to be challenges. And this is part of the promise. As long as the evil one attacks you, God says, I will protect you. And we know this is true because this is exactly what Jesus faced, wasn't it? He was carrying out the mission of God, and it was no easy road for him. There was this constant attack and constant barrage, and yet he endured until he could say, it is finished. And I think this just invites us to do the same thing, to say whatever might come, whatever challenges you might face, whatever requires grit for you, don't quit to stay in it especially as it relates to our calling to fulfill the mission that God has given us, knowing that the evil one is going to attack us. But God says, I will protect you. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That's Jesus' prayer for us. I think this is a game changer. I think it's an invitation to the spiritual practice of grit of perseverance, of staying in there. And I think the Apostle Paul also prayed this same kind of prayer from Philippians chapter 1. This is how Paul prayed about it. He says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out until it is completed, finished. Two questions. The first question is this. What is the thing God has you here to do? What is the thing God has you here in the world? Why is he leaving you here in the world to accomplish? What is that thing? And number two, where do you need some grit? Where do you need some staying power? Where do you need to persevere? I'd like you to think about those two questions, and I want to end by praying for us. And I'm actually going to pray these same words from John chapter 17, slightly revised. But as I'm praying these words, I want you to be reflecting on your own situation and uh, what is the thing God has you here to do? And where do you need grit? You think about that while I lead us in this prayer. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would display the glory of your Son, the Son that you put in charge of all people so that he might give real and eternal life to all who are in his care. And this is real and eternal life, that they know you, the one and only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent, who you glorified, who completed down to the last detail what you assigned him to do, Lead us who you have called. Lead us to do what you have called us to do. Strengthen us. Give us grit. Give grit to all who believe. Holy Father, guard them as they pursue the life that you offer. 
the life that you have given as a gift through Jesus Christ. Give us joy. The world hates us, O God, because of you. But God, protect us. I'm not asking, God, that you take us out of the world, but that you guard us from the evil one. Make us holy, a people set aside, consecrated with truth. Your word is truth. In the same way that you gave Jesus a mission in the world, so give us a mission in the world and strengthen us to finish your mission in Jesus' name.